You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Hey everyone, how's it going? It's Anthony Cazenza with the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast coming at you as we do every Wednesday night, or usually every Wednesday night. Good to have you with us. We're now in double-digit losses, everybody. Double-digit losses. Uh, Bengals are 0-10. They fell to the Oakland Raiders. Seemed like a winnable game. We'll chat a little bit about that. We've got a lot to get to tonight. Um, We want to hear from you as well. We are simulcasting on Cincy Jungle Facebook's Cincy Jungle's Facebook page. It's been a long week already, man. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cincy Jungle's Facebook page and our own YouTube channel. Before I butcher any more words, John, how are you? John Sheeran joining me as usual. How you doing, buddy? Yeah, I'm good, man. I we, we got a lot of thoughts tonight. None of them are scripted down like Mason Rudolph's apologies. So I'm, I'm good to go. What do you mean, John? That was a sincere apology. Um, yeah, man, that... Uh, that was not a good look. It's one of the multiple things that I just threw up watching today, but en- enough of that. Let's talk about the game. Yeah, uh, we're gonna we're gonna talk about the Bengals' loss to the Raiders a little bit and some of the after aftermath to this specific loss. Um, so that's there, there's a little bit to get to there. Uh, Josh Holland from the Facebook page says, "What's up, guys? Hi, Josh. Good to see you, buddy. Uh, thanks for tuning in live for, for all of you joining us. Uh, if you are, are unable to join us live for either this episode or listener questions episode, the post-game reaction show, um, you can get this show in a variety of different platforms in terms of the audio podcast, at least. You can get it on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play. You can get on the Megaphone platform. We're now on iHeartRadio. Or all of our content is on CincyJungle.com. If you're more of the video kind of person you can check our stuff out on our youtube page so we appreciate you downloading the show however you you like to watch it appreciate it so john as i mentioned uh zach taylor has the dubious distinction of being the Bengals tied for the worst start in franchise history by a first year head coach tied with the infamous dave shula uh going zero and ten so not a good mark for him, not a good mark for the team. Bengals lose 17 to 10 in Oakland. I, I kind of had a feeling this game was going to be close. Probably a Bengals loss was, was my gut feeling going into it. But I, I had a feeling that this was going to be a close game. It was. Bengals had multiple chances to really tie and or win the game. Were you incur- Was anything out of this game encouraging? Because the Raiders are 6-4, and four, they're not a bad team. I wasn't overly impressed with them at six and four, but uh, I mean, was it, was there anything that you can kind of take away from this and say, Hey, I'm kind of encouraged. Maybe things at towards the end of the year are moving in the right direction under Zach Taylor. Yeah. So like the, the one thing that's been a deterrent for them has been just like the first half of the first quarter, specifically 
mainly on the offensive side of the ball. And now they've had they've been proponent to just starting slow and not getting out of the gate and really putting their defense in the hole early on. And that really wasn't the case this time. They, they had a nice three now, a nice first drive for the defense and the offense actually had something going and they, and they took a lead in the first quarter, which has basically been unheard of so far this season. So there was definitely some encouraging signs out of the gate. Joe Mixon in the, in the run game looked, you know, continued to go on this upper momentum and this improvement that we've seen over the past three weeks. But you know, the, the whole mixing thing was great because you had 75 uh, family members and friends. He grew up, I think, about, you know, 10 or so miles away from uh, where the Raiders where the Raiders play in Oakley, California. But this game was all dependent upon how Ryan Finley can carry this offense because the, the number one weakness for that Raiders team was their pass defense. I think they were 29th in a DVOA, yeah. according to Football Outsiders. And, you know, for, for as good as Mixon was, obviously, as we saw, it's just not enough when your passing offense can't generate anything. And Ryan Finley had a worse game in, in the second start than he did in this first start. And that really hindered them. And you, you thought to yourself, yeah, this game was winnable throughout all four quarters because the defense was playing fantastic. The running game was was efficient for the first time. If they just had serviceable quarterback play, they, they probably would have won the game or would have forced it into overtime. And unfortunately, they didn't. So you know, the, the lack of progression from Ryan Finley is extremely evident. He did deal with some drops. He did he did deal with some pressure. It was John Jerry's worst game at left tackle. Oh, Max, Max, Max Crosby completely went off on him. But even still, there were a lot of throws that he missed, and there were a lot of drives that were stalled because of his incompetence in terms of arm strength and accuracy. So even with a great game from Mixon, even with a solid encouraging performance in the defense, it wasn't enough because, unfortunately, the quarterback play is just that shoddy. You know, I, I went into this game thinking because of the defensive rankings that you mentioned, I thought this was a good shot for Finley. You know, Finley got maybe the jitters out against a good Baltimore team. He could go, even though it's a road game, could go out there, maybe show a little bit more stuff he's got. He's got a little bit more of a comfort level now that he kind of is has adjusted himself to NFO game speed, that sort of thing. And it was it was a step backward. And, I mean, what do you have, 115 yards, mm-hmm. um, 112 yards, something like that? That is not – that's not an NFL offense. That's not an NFL passing attack. It really is not. He has 282 yards in two games, which basically was around sort of around what Andy Dalton was averaging um, through the year in the first few weeks. And the past two weeks, Ryan Finley has had the benefit of an, of an improved running game. Uh, you know, Joe Mixon had his first 100 yard game against the Ravens. And then this week he had about, I think 85, he was just churning out yardage. Uh, chunk yardage left and right and and good for him because he had 70 or 75 of his family and friends mm-hmm. there in, in person to watch him so good for him that he played well had his first rushing touchdown John there there are so many last week we talked about a, a number of different things that uh, you know a number of different just terrible statistics and things uh, like that that really point to why this team is 0-10 I mean the Bengals first rushing touchdown by a running back in week 11. I mean, that's just pathetic, especially when it's a guy who had a solid year last year. I mentioned the passing yards. It's just not going well for the Cincinnati Bengals and their offense. It's not going well for Zach Taylor as a play caller. You mentioned John Jerry, the issues, Bobby Hart had another poor game. Um, You know, there, there are just issues galore on that side of the ball. Now, focusing to the defense, you mentioned you thought they played pretty well. They created a couple of turnovers, got to the quarterback, only allowed 17 points. This was probably of 10 losses. I would say this is probably the fifth game or so that the points given up were manageable. 
mm-hmm. right? I mean, they, they were, especially in a road game on the West Coast, giving up 17 points. That's a game you could, if not should, win. Yeah, and it was it was like the penultimate, not the penultimate, but it was the ultimate bender don't break performance because I think Derek Carr only had one or two incompletions at the end. Of the, he might not. Yeah, I think like he completed the first fifteen or so passes that he had, and he finished with four incomplete passes. Josh Jacobs ran for over hundred yards and almost five yards a clip. So that offense was moving all throughout the game, but they only scored seventeen points, and it was it was from it was attributed to a, a couple of key plays in the defense. So it was attributed to that pass rush really revitalizing itself because they had Carl Lawson back in, in somewhat of a full-time form and they were using him a little bit more creatively. They got a great game from Geno Atkins and they had great play from Josh Tupo and Andrew Billings on the interior and limiting the amount of damage that Jacobs had. Like the, the, the Raiders run game is a lot different than the Raiders. It was very similar to, I think how they prepared for that Seahawks game. Cause they were, they were prepared yeah. for an offense that was built on a ground attack that, didn't really deceive anything. They weren't going to stretch you out or anything. They're just trying to pound up the middle. And that's what this Bengals defense for as bad as they are. That's what they're prepared to do. The, the, the least um, that's what they were prepared to do. Well, I guess in terms of, you know, how they can defend it because they had the bodies up front to do that, even if they don't have great linebackers, whatever. So like the past defense ha- had its moments that it had great, it had the Jesse Bates interception. And that was almost pre- predominantly based off film study because the Raiders ran like a play to Hunter Renfro a few plays before Bates had that interception. He kind of read the same, yeah, he read the same keys or whatever and, and just jumped in front of it. So there were some solid moments from both from, you know, both units of, of that defense. But at the end of the day, you know, they, they gave up a lot of yards, but they didn't give up a lot of points and they gave, and they put the offense in a position to really take over that lead. But unfortunately, like we like we said, we haven't seen a complete game from both sides of the ball. So it was encouraging to see the defense take some steps forward, especially compare the first half to the second half and how they, you know, uh, just let Derek Carr eviscerate that secondary in the beginning, and then kind of slow down towards the end. So it was it was encouraging, but again, it's not going to mean anything until they get a complete performance from both units. You know, and it's just I said this in the post in the post game reactions, albeit a little late. I did it on a, on a Monday. By the way, John, thanks for. Uh, relieving me of of some duties on the Cincy Jungle website. I, I had some things to take care of. I greatly appreciate that. I want to publicly acknowledge you for that, buddy. Um, I, on the post-game reaction video I did, you know, and I've done, I've said this a couple of times on the post-game reactions. It's when a unit, the story of the Bengals this year, aside from, you know, offensive ineptitude, the injuries and, and all of that, when one of the units plays well, or does enough to make sure that the team can win the other units or one unit or the other units let them down. So what I mean by that is obviously 100, 110-ish passing yards, 115 passing yards by Ryan Finley when your defense gives up only 17 points, gets you a couple of turnovers, you have nearly 100 yards from Joe Mixon, your passing offense isn't getting it done. You need points, you're on the road, you got to have points. Your kicker who doesn't kick the ball ball well from 50 plus yards nails one. Oh, by the way, there was a timeout called. Didn't you say, I, I, I don't know about you. I said out loud, watch, he got iced. He's going to miss this next one. Guaranteed, guaranteed. And of course, shank it left. So that that's kind of the story of this team. When one phase does enough to win, the others are just not coming up to, to play. And I, I, I mean, I guess that's coaching. I guess that's mental, a mental facet of the game. I guess it's also limitations, you know, talent limitations on the roster. But to me, that's kind of been a, a subtext of this year. 
Well, it's also a testament to the lack of support that they've gotten from their quarterback play on a consistent week-to-week basis. Because not all, not every week you're gonna, only going to allow 17 points to a, a you know an above-average offense like the Raiders have at home. At some point, you you just have to put the ball in, in the quarterback's hands and trust that he he gets the job done. Like if you don't have that quarterback that can provide you you know 20 or whatever points per game and not leave your defense out to dry, these performances are more times than not going to be put to waste. So you're not not you're not always going to have you know relative to the Bengals standard it's a solid defensive performance at some point the quarterback and the the entire offense just has to step up on a consistent basis and they just haven't been able to do that yeah and and Randy Bullock uh had been having a a decent season uh, really up to that point but these guys to kind of quote Dennis Green these guys are who we thought they were there they are who they've always been Randy Bullock has never been a guy to be able to consistently hit Big field goals and field goals from 50 plus yards. He is just not that guy. Now, there's not guys that are, that's not an overly common thing in the NFL, but he has always been this guy. You know, you might as well, especially when you're 0 10, you're in that no man's land. I know you need points. Just go for it. Just, I mean, at that point, just go for it. But uh, it it is what it is. Um, I I think that was towards the end of the half anyway. So it just, you know, it kind of didn't really matter uh, if the Bengals did go for it. But it kind of, a, you know, two steps forward, four steps back, right? I mean, that's that's kind of the deal. Now, some of the aftermath that occurred from this, John, and I find it pretty troubling. One is in Joe, you know, Joe Mixon's kind of somewhat active on social media, and he's a guy who, he's, he takes losses very hard. He's never really been on a team that's lost this many times. He's really ever since he's been in the NFL after being, on a successful Oklahoma team, he hasn't experienced a winning season in the NFL. So he, he said something to the effect of, I'm sorry, Cincinnati fans, we're trying our best or, you know, something to that nature. But the big comments were from Tyler Boyd this week. Uh, Tyler Boyd is their best available receiver, given that AJ Green's been out injured. And he kind of made some eyebrow raising comments in terms of him not getting the football why are they not looking his way? Basically, he all but said, and, and I could pull up the quote, but he all but said, why did why did you pay me this contract and pay me this money if you're not going to give me the football? Uh, I have some, some statistics that I compiled regarding some things with him and his statistics this year. I'll, I'll talk about that in a second. But I'm a little worried about kind of the morale, obviously your morale is not going to be high at 0 10, but I'm a little worried about long-term morale with what this season has done to this team and guys who are under contract for next year, Joe Mixon, Tyler Boyd, some of your best offensive players, what this season is doing to them. So the whole Tyler, the whole Tyler thing, and I definitely understand where he's, where he's coming from. This is his so first, this was his first game where he had zero receiving yards. The first game he's played. And mind you, this was a guy that was, uberly productive at Pitt, at Pitt, where I think he was like 19 years old, and he accounted for close to 50% of Pitt's receiving yards. So he's used to not only producing, but carrying the load for an offense. And this was, and he basically said he feels like he's the guy that has to carry the load of the passing offense while AJ's out. And for the most part, that's been true because he's now played 16 consecutive games without Green, and he's been their leading receiver. He's been their best receiver. He's been the most consistent receiver. Looking beyond just the traditional statistics on a game-by-game you know, bases. Boyd has lived up to the contract that he's played. He's still playing at a high level. The production's obviously not there because, again, the quarterback play is, is mediocre or below average. Now, the whole thing about where he's at right now with Finley, 
Um, just just looking back at the preseason, you know, when Finley had those bright moments, he established a connection to Damian Willis. And that was pr- predominantly why Willis got hot in the preseason and ended up making the roster because he and Finley had this connection in the preseason and, and it worked. And I, I think that grew from training camp and into the preseason and then, and then into the regular season with the second team. So, um, you know, when, when on Tate was in the game, you know, before he was injured, Finley's best throws were to Tate. Actually, most of Finley's production ended up in the, in the, in the arms of Tate. So I think that chemistry kind of goes inside to not only Willis, but also Tate. I think, you know, over the course of the season, there has been that chemistry building, and Boyd just hasn't been able to get that from from Finley because obviously Finley's only been the first string quarterback for the past three weeks, and it's unfair to ask you know Finley to have an established chemistry with all these other receivers that he just hasn't been practicing enough time with. So yeah, Boyd's point, yeah, like he should be getting more than just three targets. He should be getting more than one catch. He should be getting more than zero receiving yards. But on that fourth down play, and I know this is I know this is still in Boyd's mind. I know this is like the, the epicenter of his of his overall displeasure. But he broke open over the middle on a fourth and four. I think the definition of open there is very up, very much up for debate because he did get inside leverage on one, on one defender, but another defender was on the ground, and then he kind of came back up and kind of closed that window a little bit. But Brian Callahan talked at the end of the game. Finley was eyeing Damian Willis the entire way because Willis had one-on-one coverage, and he stacked him over the top, and he had a nice opportunity on a vertical route that could have potentially even got him a touchdown. The safety, the free safety over the top on a cover one defense just made a great play. He reacted very quickly. And Finley made a great throw, and Willis almost brought it down. So, you know, we, we may not even be, even be talking about this if that if that, if that ends up catching or if that ends up in the hands of Willis. But I think with Boyd's point, it's just the fact that there just hasn't been enough time to establish, for Finley's sake, to establish chemistry with the other receivers. And I think that's something that he kind of has to understand. I understand where he's coming from because he has a lot of money right now and he wants to, you know, he wants to make an impact for his team because that's the player he is. But I do understand why Finley was more gravitated towards throwing to Tate earlier in the game. And when Willis came in for Tate, I understand why he looked this way because of the, of the look he got and the chemistry that he's established with him so far. Fair points. Uh, you know, I compiled some stats uh, that I, between, and they're from this year, and it's with Tyler Boyd, with Andy Dalton under center, and Tyler Boyd with Ryan Finley under center. Um, obviously, the sample size with him is and Finley is much smaller, um, but uh, Boyd was averaging 10.3 targets, 67 receiving yards, and 6.4 receptions per game with Dalton as the quarterback. With Finley under center, Boyd has five and a half targets a game, just 31 yards receiving, and 3.5. That's what he's averaging, three and a half receptions a game. So obviously, like you said, and, and there's validity to that, where Finley played in the preseason with the Alden Tates, the Damian Willises, these guys that you know he, he had uh, some cohesion with, and that's understandable that he wants to maybe look at them a little bit more. But uh, Boyd is your best available receiving option at this point. Um, I, I think some people agreed with you, John, in our live chats that Boyd seemed to be open some people thought wide open. Some people did not think wide open, but open. Um, but I, I just, this is a symptom, much like other things, of a bigger problem. This is a symptom of frustration boiling over, losing boiling over. Tyler Boyd has seen a lot of that uh, since he's been in Cincinnati. Nothing like this. But, uh, you know, these are guys that, these are guys that are under contract next year. Boyd just signed the big deal. 
Uh, Mixon's still on his rookie deal, but you know, there's there's the the final final deal of here, uh, final final year of his deal. So. I guess I'm a little worried, you know, if, if the plan is to keep Zach Taylor around this season continues to go the way it's going, maybe the Bengals win a game, two games, I don't know, something like that. Maybe none. They keep Taylor around after a season like that. And you have these kind of valuable players that are under contract next year. Are they going to buy in? Are they going to, you know, are, are they going to want to be, in Cincinnati based on what's transpired this year. When we talked to Tyler Boyd this, this earlier this spring, John, he was stoked. We talked mm-hmm. to him on this show. He was stoked about the Taylor hire, bringing a guy who was on a Super Bowl team, an offensive minded guy. He was stoked. Now, granted that could be player speak, but a few months later, quite, quite the one eighty. I think it's because Boyd just came off of his best year. And also Andy Dalton came off a pretty good year. And as we've seen over the past, However many weeks or months now we want to we want to say that it is the quarterback play and the lack of quality of it has really zapped a lot of energy from these guys and it, and you can really sense it from the receivers as well and and in this game you know you know we can talk about Finley's lack of completion percentage and his inaccuracy but it wasn't a lot of there wasn't a lot of separation going on with with those guys and you have to wonder you know how the effect of benching Dalton and how awful Dalton was playing to bringing in Finley and how awful yeah. Finley and it really you really have to wonder because. I just don't. I still. I still don't think fans understand how much of an impact good quarterback play has on the team. But when it's bad at that position, it it affects all fifty-two players. It affects the coaching staff. It affects basically everybody in that organization. So you know, I think it really depends on you know. For, to your point, how does this go over into next year? In such a pivotal year, and what will be Zach Taylor's tenure here? It's just how they address that position. It's how they address the state of the franchise and how they really continue to build towards this offseason. And and if and if you know Taylor and the organization gives Boyd reason for confidence and in, in sense that you know we're going to build around somebody better than Ryan Finley, maybe that maybe that energy sparks back up and maybe we do see some some positive developments from there. But right now, there's just not a lot to get excited about because the most important position is the worst position in the NFL compared to everybody else. Yeah, and. That's very that's painfully apparent. Um, whether it's Andy Dalton not not getting the ball in the end zone enough and or accumulating wins, or Ryan Finley not really doing anything, including not a- accumulating passing yards, um, not pushing the ball downfield. I mean, his yards per attempt is very low, uh, and, and yards per completion is even lower than that. So, uh, not. Um, not a lot. You're right. That's an interesting point. You know, it's just the morale that gets affected from the quarterback play. That's your most important player. That's the guy who kind of controls the pace of the game. And if you have guys that you're putting in there that you don't have faith in or are not, they are not playing well, uh, that kind of destroys the, the morale of things, um, going forward. Well, the Bengals lost 10 to 17 against Oakland and uh, they are 0 and 10. As I mentioned, uh, Zach Taylor is still looking for his first regular season win as an NFL head coach. It is uh, a one in 13 start. If you include the preseason for Zach Taylor with the Cincinnati Bengals, not exactly how, how they drew that one up. This is the orange and black insider Bengals podcast. He's John Sheeran. I'm Anthony Cazenza. We're talking about the Bengals lost. We've got a few more topics on tap. We'll get to in just a second. If you are new to the show, welcome. 
Uh, hopefully you have you are watching us as we stream live via Cincy Jungle's Facebook page or our own YouTube channel, which is also on cincyjungle.com. It's being shown there. So thanks for joining us. If you are new to the show and are downloading it after the fact, we appreciate that as well. Get this show on a number of different podcast platforms. And as I mentioned, YouTube and Cincy Jungle carry all of our content. Uh, we do this show every week. We do listener questions, a standalone episode there almost every week, usually about three times a month. And uh, we also do post-game reactions after every game. So check those out. We also have other podcasters that have been added to the channel. Um, so a couple of different shows on our channel for your slate. So check it out however you get the show. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Anthony, you want to talk about some college quarterbacks, man? Look, yeah, I, I'm just a little worried about uh, is uh, the popo coming to get you? What's going on behind you, dude? Oh, did you, could you hear that? I, I barely. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I hope it's not for me. This, uh, the this co- the cops think bad, bad boys. Hey, yeah, I, I heard it, but it's good. It's good. Yeah, no, it's, you know, let's let's just dive into some college quarterbacks because we're getting we're getting comments about what quarterbacks can succeed behind this offensive line. It's kind of irritating me. So we're going to talk about the quarterbacks who could succeed behind this offensive line. For starters. We got to talk about Tua Tungavailoa because, unfortunately, in the middle of Alabama's game against Mississippi State, Tungavailoa was looked like a routine, you know, hit after throw, and unfortunately, he messed up his hit. And initially, it kind of looks something similar to what Bo Jackson suffered. He also suffered a concussion and broken nose in the same place, so it was kind of adding insult to injury. But yeah, yeah, I, I like my roommate told me that I'm like, no, I'm pretty sure it's just the hip. No, man, he's like bleeding his nose, so it was it was a whole thing. So. He had a rough day on Saturday. Fortunately, uh, after successful surgery, doctors think he's going to make a full recovery, going to be back in, in, you know, in football shape in however many months. Potentially, he could he could be ready for his rookie year. That has kind of affected the shockwaves of the NFL draft landscape. I think uh, currently most sports betting sites believe he's most likely to be drafted in that 11 to 20 range right now. But obviously, this is November, and there's a lot more of the draft process to go to. But in total, ultimately, it looks like uh, Tua dodged a bullet, basically, and he could be ready to play in 2020, whether it's in Alabama or or the NFL draft. Regardless, though, his injury does bring up a lot of questions about him and the status of who really is QB1 right now. And after that game, Joe Burrow kind of lit Ole Miss on fire, and he kind of continued to validate, you know, the scouting reports on him and the positive traits that that he has shown over the past, you know, 10 weeks in college football. And he, and honestly, his production is, is astronomical. It, it's stuff that I think pro football, pro football focus has said they haven't seen and however many years of grading college football that he has his accuracy beyond 10 yards and just yeah. his completion percentage is just astronomical and stuff that they haven't seen in terms of that completion percentage and average depth of target. So he played well against Ole Miss despite those two interceptions that we'll get to. And then after that game, your boy, Justin Herbert, he was finally allowed to just throw the ball down the field and just let it fling. And he showed that he has probably the best arm talent in this entire class. So he had some positive things to show for himself. And you're, you will have to think maybe he's starting to build some positive momentum here. So with Tua's injury 
And with the performances of Burrow and Herbert, where do you see this QB class right now? Well, I, you know, I think that unfortunately Tua has probably, he's probably dropped a bit and, you know, it's not just the hip thing. Um, he's had ankle issues. I think he's had surgeries on the ankles. Um, the, this this type of scenario a lot of times causes scouts to go back and look at the tape even closer and scrutinize even further because right. you, have, you have to determine what what is shown on tape if that is worth the the risk associated with taking a guy that potentially may be looking at a red shirt rookie year. You have to look at the throws. You look at probably every game, every snap. You have to look at all of that to say, okay, yes, he's got the mechanics. Yes, he's got the arm strength. Yes, he's got the accuracy. Injury be damned, we're going to we're gonna take this guy and maybe he's ready for this season or maybe we pup him. Maybe he's on IR return, whatever the case may be, and, and then he's kind of a late-year candidate. I, but I, I think unless attitudes change drastically in the next couple of months, I, I – I don't think he you can take him number one overall um, w- with this injury hanging hanging over his head. Unfortunately, I hate to say that because he seems like a great kid. He's a talented guy. This isn't something that he's he screwed up and now he's paying the price for. It's just a freak thing. Um, so I, I think that unfortunately, this is going to cause him to fall a bit, and this gives a platform for Burrow for Herbert to potentially elevate themselves into that number one, number two overall discussion. Both played very well. Uh, I think we all agree that Burrow has been far more consistent, uh, or at least more consistent. I don't know, far more consistent, but he's been more consistent than Herbert. Um, If you look at some of the numbers, Herbert has improved himself from last year, but this injury and potentially with Alabama now, if they don't play well or, you know, however they want to do the, the playoff polling, if losing that that player kind of affects their standing, this gives a platform for Burrow, for Herbert, potentially on big stages, bowl games, extra games, playoff games, to play more, to show off what they have a bit more. I think everybody's pretty aware of Burrow and what he can do. I think because of where Herbert plays and the time he plays, Maybe that's where he can potentially elevate himself in terms of scouts, pundits, the Bengals fans, or, you know, these guys can can kind of trip over themselves uh, as well. If that's, uh, I don't want that to happen to either of them, but either way, I I think unfortunately two is now probably fallen into that third quarterback spot. I don't, some people may think he's, he is the most talented guy in the draft of the three, but I think the injury really has got to scare some teams, even if the outlook is more positive than it initially looked. Yeah. And going back to Herbert, like I would imagine that the the playoff committee would, would dream of having Oregon as the fourth seed and LSU as the one seed so they can have that one-on-one matchup. Because originally I think it was probably going to be Alabama for an LSU one, but nobody wants to see Matt Jones take on Alabama like that. Right. That's, take on LSU. That's probably not in the cards at this point. Plus they both have to go through Georgia. So Herbert V. Burrow in the playoff would be fantastic viewing. It would be great evaluation uh, tape for, yeah. you know, to, to, to determine, you know, 
you know, in, in the big stage, which quarterback steps up. Going back to Tua, I still think that looking at just the things that he can't control and not not his health, he's still probably the the cleanest prospect out of out of, out of the three. And I mm-hmm. think he edges out over Burrow. Just in, just adding up like ranking the traits with all of them. I did this over the weekend after you know viewing enough tape on all of them. I, I still think that Tua is still the better quarterback, and I still think that if he was healthy, he would probably you know he has he has the experience he has the you know the production and he has all the traits and all that stuff so this injury does throw a big wrench in it and all and when you look at the Bengals I think it comes down to basically from our perspective it comes down to trust so do you trust you know them taking the the you know the best quarterback in the draft that that's all fine and all but do you trust them handling this injury like on honest honestly like again it's not to his fault and it's not the Bengals fault that they end up in all these situations but I'm just not entirely sure that I would trust them handling Tua's injury and and recovering him back to full health and I don't trust that Tua is going to honestly get fully health and get and get the get the best recovery plan possible if he comes to Cincinnati I think their track record basically speaks for itself speaks for themselves and honestly that might be a fear that they have in in their own they're thinking themselves we need we need a franchise quarterback and we would like for him to play in 2020 without any other issues to deal with. So we might have to go with a safe play. We might have to go with, with, with the other prospects that we may have similarly graded, but we're more sure is going to play. And we don't have to worry about this recovery plan like we have for the past three years now with John Ross, Billy Price, and now Jonah Williams, you know, potentially coming back this year. So, like, I still think that Tua, you know, there's nothing that he can do more now to, to prove himself as the best quarterback. It's just an unfortunate injury. I still don't think he's injury prone, but also I think there is a, a point that the Bengals would try to make in saying, we kind of don't really want to deal with this anymore. And there's, and they're just lucky that Burrow has ascended as quickly as he has. And now Herbert's starting to get some positive momentum too. Yeah. You're, you've asked a couple of questions there and they are very valid ones. Do I trust the Bengals to, uh, you know, you mentioned basically, do I trust them to evaluate this injury correctly, bring him along correctly, rehab it correctly, whatever the case may be. Absolutely not. I do not trust them at all. I this and the team has with with Taylor. They've brought in new training staff, new guys on the training side. Uh, I don't think that there's been much change on the medical staff side. I'd have to go check and double check and see. But the uh, um, immense amount of guys on injured reserve the past couple of years has to tell you that. Bringing in a guy who, you, when you draft him, he will still be recovering from a major injury, a major surgery, and you're bringing him into a situation where the medical staff in this organization is suspect as it is, can't do it. I, you know, I, I, I hesitate to, to make an absolute statement, but as we sit here in late November, the draft basically, you know, five months away from now, and there's a lot of recovery time in there, but... I think this takes two off the table for the Bengals. And I think that they cannot, if you look at this string of bad drafts that this team has had, the one constant in that is high draft picks being injured and, and other high picks at important positions, just not, you know, namely linebacker third round linebackers have been just terrible for this team in the past few drafts. But you mentioned Billy price. You can go back Cedric boy. injured, right? Yeah. William Jackson, uh, he had, uh, I think, a little bit of injuries early in his year, but nothing to the extent. He still, I think, appeared in 15 games as a 
Uh, oh no, I'm sorry. He was on IR as a, yeah. 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 He had the the shoulder thing, I think. Um, so he was on IR as a rookie. So that was a wash 17, John Ross. We know that situation. 18, Billy Price. He was injured all of last year. This year, Jonah Williams injured. You cannot take a guy that is recovering for an injury. And the other thing you brought up, John, is this team, if they're going to take a quarterback and this coaching staff, if they're coming off a single-digit win season or a goose egg win season with this coach and they keep him around, they need a quarterback and they need him to play now. So I think that this, for those reasons, this – more than likely takes Tua off the table. I'm not saying I'm happy about that, but mm-hmm. I think that if there is a chance that this kid is not able to play in 2020 and you use the number one overall pick on him, that is just a, another disaster and a string of high pick disasters. Not that William Jackson is a disaster, but you get my point with the injuries. You just can't, I, I don't think you could take that risk if you're this team. It's it's completely circumstantial, and it's only because of the team that we're talking about has this has this unfortunate history, and it's all about trust. Like I don't, I just don't trust them to handle this or manage this well or diagnose it well. Like like that Jonah the Jonah Williams injury. Like there is there, there was reports that maybe it was something that you know teams kind of knew about in the offseason because like obviously nothing really happened in the offseason for him to get injured, and then the Bengals you know kind of either ignored it or, or didn't manage it or identify it as correctly as they did. And then all of a sudden he's on, he's on IR in, in the middle of June. So like, again, like I, I love Tua, I love him as a prospect. And I don't think that this injury would deter me as the general manager of 31 other teams from taking him where he should belong. But the Bengals, man, like j- just for their specific situation, for what they need, like this is just a risk that they probably can't take. And I would assume won't take in the draft. Yeah. And this, this is where it breeds then the other question if if two is not because it's the risk this team has taken maybe if you want to call them chances on risks uh a they knew was injured even though they didn't need him right away that was a risky pick didn't work out for him uh I, i hate to bring this one up character concerns with joe mixon that was a risk with a high pick it's worked out for them right uh is this a year based on overall poor draft yields since 2015 with Tua's injury, the Bengals having terrible injury luck over the past couple of seasons. Is this the year where you go with maybe safer picks, more high floor, maybe slightly lower ceiling picks over some of those boom or bust guys? So I think and really the big, the crux of that question, John, really resides in, I think most people, if you look at Joe Burrow and Justin Herbert, I think you would say Joe Burrow is a much safer prospect. I don't know that you could say based on arm strength and things like that, that his ceiling may be as high as Herbert, but Herbert may be a guy that absolutely makes your franchise or he's a guy that will set you back three or four years because he is that boomer bust guy. And that's the big decision I think the Bengals need to make, the risk reward. Yeah. And and ultimately, like when people talk about potential, like I, I refer to potential as, you know, 
it's not only your overall ceiling, but it's how likely you are to hit it. And I think when you look at Burrow, like, like you said, the consistency is there and the production is there. And that, I think, is going to appeal to the Bengals extremely likely. And pl- plus, you have to consider the fact that, you know, if, if the Bengals had the chance to draft Cam Newton, like we shouldn't have any doubt that they probably would have and that they wouldn't have dra- drafted any doll in the second round. But the fact that they couldn't draft Cam Newton is why they didn't. And they ended up with AJ Green. Joe Burrow is not Cam Newton. He doesn't win the same ways, and he's not the same caliber of quarterback. But a guy who's lighting the college football landscape on on fire is the front runner to win the Heisman and could very well win the national championship. He's on a career arc very similar to Cam Newton, where he's had this one year of a meteoric rise into stardom, and he's like the number one overall favorite to go first overall, similar to what Carson Palmer went, you know, 17, 18 years ago. So Burrow just at this point seems like the guy that they're going to be most encapsulated with. But with that being said, like you said, the, the, the Herbert Herbert's skill set and his overall, you know, tools are intanalizing in, in and you have to wonder, you know, how our team's going to evaluate, you know, the, the performances before this Arizona game and the performances after this Arizona game, because something definitely did click where he was just allowed to just let the ball fly all across the field. And like you said, Burrow, his arm strength isn't, uh, an asset, but it's not a liability like it is with Ryan Finley. With Herbert, it is absolutely an asset because that sixty yards, six yard bomb in stride for one of those touchdowns against Arizona. That that's something that Burrow just can't do. And, and like, and you you have to you have to believe that the Bengals are looking at that and thinking this is something that we have to keep an eye on. And and how these two finish the season is really going to determine their process because unfortunately, I think it has come down to one of those two guys with with this two injury. Yeah, you know, one of the things I've I've heard in the talk about Herbert and why some fans don't want him is they, they perceive a regression from Herbert and I'm looking at it now. He's got three less games, but his completion percentage is 10 10.2% higher than it was last year. His yards per attempt is up by points, point six, six tenths of a yard yards, uh, average yards per attempt up by one and a half yards. He's got one less touchdown in three fewer games than he did all of last year and five fewer interceptions. Um, And last year, you know, a lot of people thought that if he came out, he was going to be the first overall guy because it was kind of a weaker quarterback class and he decided to stay. So I, I I think there's not a regression from Herbert. I think there is actually improvement. I think that there was a lot of wow last year and there's just not um, – I'm trying to think of the right words to how to describe this. There's not a markedly improvement on the on the wow. It's just kind mm-hmm. of a, a lot of the same. And I think when people look at a guy like that, they're, they're kind of like, well, you stayed for a reason. It's not an outrageous jump in a lot of your stats. But I, I, I really look at that completion percentage uh, as, as a pretty good indicator of, of a sign of improvement. But I, I like him. I like Joe Burrow. There, there is a significant risk, I think, with and more so with with Herbert. There's a risk with Burrow being the one year wonder kind of guy, I guess, as well. But that's the thing the Bengals have to weigh this year is, you know, is Tua's injury worth the risk? Is Joe Burrow's consistent consistency, accuracy, some of the the incredible statistical things he has done from an analytics perspective, is that more valuable than maybe the overall arm strength and some of the things that Herbert possesses maybe over both of those guys, you know, it's kind of a, (laughs) which one, you know, right. What are you coveting? 
And, and, and that's why I thought Tua was still the best out of all three, because I think he provided the balance that all three kind of have. He has more of a, a, a raw and, you know, incredible arm talent compared to Burrow, but he had the consistency and the consistent production over a couple of years that, that, that Herbert also had. And yeah. I, and again, it, it's going to come down to how Herbert really finishes his year, because like you said, the completion percentage is up, but it's been a lot more of a team offense and, not, and his average depth of target hasn't exactly been great. And he hasn't had a lot of success throwing deep up until very recently. So it's kind of been a tale of two seasons for her tale of two seasons in this one season for Herbert and really how he finishes specifically against that game against Utah. And if he makes the playoff, it's really going to determine if he's a middle first round pick or if he's contention for first overall. Yeah. And I mean, consistency was kind of a key with, with Tua aside from some of the injuries. I mean, it, really in uh, 32 games, 87 touchdowns, 11 interceptions. I mean, that's, that's pretty outrageous. Um, through, you know, he, he almost threw for 4,000 yards last year was probably going to come somewhat close to that again this year. So, um, you know, shame for him. It does shake up things definitely in the, in the top five, top 10 of the draft, going to be interesting to see how things um, develop with the quarterbacks. Obviously, as teams meet with these guys, as they see him in person at the pro days and all of that, we know the hype, the hype uh, wheel gets, gets going. So, uh, you know, and I think that's, that may be where, you know, teams just fall in love with Burrow and Herbert. And uh, unfortunately, Tua probably won't be able to engage in a lot of those workouts. He'll be able to meet with teams, but um, I don't know. And, and lost in this discussion is, I don't think it's, I don't think he's going to do it, but could he return? Could Tua return and say, you know, I feel like my draft stock took a big hit because of this injury. Could I return for another year? Potentially risk another injury in college. I, I don't know. You know, that's something that he, I don't see it happening personally, but it, it, Dis- dislocating my hip for free. It couldn't be me. It couldn't be me. Right. Right. So, <laughs> right. and you know, I think there's a lot of scrutiny there because he, I think his team was up 28 points um, when he was still in there. So I, I think there's a little bit of criticism to the all knowing the omnipotent Nick Saban. This is the orange and black insider Bengals podcast. He's John Sheeran. I'm Anthony Cazenza. You can get this show, as I've mentioned a couple of times now, on iTunes, on Stitcher, on Spotify. You can get it on Google Play, Megaphone. You can get it on iHeartRadio, on YouTube, and CincyJungle.com. Thanks for tuning in. Subscribe to our channels, too, so you can make sure to get alerted for when all of our new content comes out. Uh, We do have some some content coming out pretty frequently throughout the week. I would say probably anywhere from four to five times throughout the week. We've got new stuff, at least uh, at least from this specific podcast, we've got, you know, four or five things coming out a week. We've got even more with some of the other great shows that are on our podcast channel too. So subscribe, leave a rating. We appreciate it. We're going to get out of here in just a few minutes. Before we do, we would be remiss if we did not discuss Steelers week. Um, normally, this has a lot more luster to it. Normally we'd have a lot more passion behind it. If the team was not own 10 and didn't get clobbered by the Steelers and Mason Rudolph earlier in the year, 27 to three on Monday night football. Ooh, <laughs> we kind of teased Mason Rudolph about his robotic apology um, earlier this week, but you know, there, there are a handful of games, John, 
remaining on the schedule, obviously the Jets, the Dolphins, and those two will loom large probably in draft positioning. Maybe even the Browns, if you want to consider that. I mean, they've been real up and down, um, playing a tiny bit better of late, I guess, but they're going to be without one of their best defensive players for the remainder of the season, and they're only four and six right now. Couple of games remaining on the schedule that seem relatively winnable. Is this one, based on the suspensions given out, the issues this team is facing, the injuries, is this Steelers game surprisingly maybe one of the team's best chance, if not the best chance, to grab their first win, maybe their only win of the season as we as this season is winding down? Yeah, the Steelers, you know, a couple weeks ago were kind of knocking on the door of the wild card race. And in that game against Cleveland, the, even the first 59 minutes of the game, it was ugly. And Mason Rudolph threw four interceptions and yeah. the Browns, you know, somehow, you know, looked a lot better than what they had, what they've had in the, in the past this year. So Steelers are not in a good place right now. And you look at the rest of the Bengals schedule, they play the, the Browns twice, they play the Jets, they play the Dolphins. So you're thinking there are winnable games on here. And compared to the Steelers, you know, where do they rank in that? But it, I look at that defense still and the fact that it's still a, a, an elite defense and, and run defense and pass rush, the fact that they had eight sacks against this offensive line, you know, just two months ago and how they've basically had this, this team's number over the past decade. So even with, you know, Mason Rudolph not playing very well, you know, e- even with a lot of injuries that they're dealing with, with, with Juju, with De- Deontay Johnson, with James Conner, like this is still a team that can absolutely handicap this offense. If Ryan Finley doesn't, get anything going for them and the fact that it's home doesn't really do a lot for me because the Steelers have been able to have a lot of success in Paul Ron Stadium I don't, I don't even remember the last time the Bengals beat the Steelers I think it was what over five years ago now six, over six years ago like they're, they're, they're it's just been a lot of losing with this franchise with <laughs> against, against that team and even when they're not playing well like I, I still don't have a lot of confidence and I still look at other games on the schedule even with the Jets kind of finding themselves even with the Dolphins now getting some sense of consistency and playing with some sense of pride I look at the Steelers team and the fact that they still have an elite defense and with all the crap that they just went through over, over a week ago in Cleveland, I think they got to be pretty pissed off right now. And obviously we're not defending Mason Rudolph or any of the actions that he or Pouncey did, but I think, you know, they took a lot of bad media this week and I think they're going to come out very, even more mad now. And like, not, not to the point where another scrap is going to come out, but they have a lot to prove and they're, they are still technically, technically in this playoff race. It's hard for Mason Rudolph to play a lot worse than when he did against Cleveland. I, I don't think we're going to get that abysmal performance again. So with that defense still playing, you know, very well. And with, you know, the emotions running high for them trying to prove themselves after that week, I, I don't see a lot of positives going into this game for the Bengals. And I don't see this game more winnable than, you know, against the jets and the dolphins. John, the last time the Bengals beat the Steelers, was in Pittsburgh, and it was the Slugfest on November 1st of 2015. I remember that now. 16 to 10. There have been nine straight losses. Yes, yeah, it took a while for you to count. It <laughs> was a lot of games. Nine straight losses. Um, wow. yes, I, yeah, I, I had to use two hands there. Um, so, yeah, it is not – but and and – the, the direction the Bengals are heading uh, does not, you know, it does not bode well this week. Do you think that this game, given the history between the Bengals and the Steelers, do you think that this game will have any kind of resemblance of the chippiness that you saw on Thursday night? Or is this just kind of Bengals going through the motions at this point and 
you know, we're going to do what we're going to try and do. And we're not, we don't have that much emotion in us or is it a play for pride? And maybe, maybe this thing turns into something a little scrappy. So that's the interesting thing because I, I think Cleveland this year is playing and kind of took the role of Bengals teams over the past couple of years because yeah, yeah. because they, they had a point. Yeah. They, they had high expectations and they're underwhelming, not to the extent that the Bengals are because they're obviously winless, but the Browns had that chippiness that the Bengals have had where they're like, we're tired of being a little brother. We're going to punch you in the mouth because you know, we, we, we want you to have a taste of your own medicine. The Bengals can either be like that because it's even worse for them or they're just not going to have the energy to put up with that. They, they realize that they, they stink and th- them doing their actions of the, of the past is not really going to change that fact. It really will depend, I think on how they kind of respond early in this game and how they keep up with them. Because like, you know, just eight weeks ago, they lost by 24 under the lights. And this team is not much different aside from the fact that the starting quarterback is different and the left tackle might be different. I think we should probably talk about that in a couple minutes as well. Yeah. So like, yeah, this, like this team isn't, isn't much different. And I don't think, there's going to be a lot of uh, obviously as a rivalry game, but I, I don't I don't know if I can confidently say that they're they're going to have that same kind of chippiness that they've had in the past couple of years because they're just a lot worse and that has to take some type of mental toll on you. You, my friend, are the king of the segue because <laughs> that is exactly where I was going next. Um, some news and notes out of Cincinnati. It, it probably does not appear that AJ green is going to play again this week. I, I, I don't even know if he's going to play again at all this year, but uh, it appears he he's day to day. My guess is he probably will not play, but it sounds like we may have a Cordy Glenn sighting and it sounds like, you know, whether it's health, whether it's, he's gotten back in the good graces with the coaching staff, whatever the case may be. It sounds like he might be ready to go. How big of a boost is that, John, given that the Steelers had eight sacks, I believe, against the Bengals Mm -hmm. on Monday night, last time they faced off? Cordy Glenn hasn't played football since, what, week three of the preseason? Week two of the preseason? Week two. How big of an in- impact can he really have, or is it just simply really can't be much worse? <laughs> <laughs> so it like there are concerns about him coming back for the first time. And this is, I think, why he was practicing, you know, fully healthy over the past couple weeks. But they've been kind of reserving him and not wanting to put him back out there immediately because, again, you know this 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 is a process. This is very delicate. They've they've honestly handled it pretty well after that whole fiasco that they had. You know, when he came off of. You know, when you started returning to practice and they had that um, our argument with, with, with an unnamed coach. So I, I think they handled the, the, the timing well. And I think, you know, now is probably a good time to bring him back. And honestly, you have to wonder if the timing is re- relevant to what they just saw in Oakland, where John Jerry gave up four sacks at left tackle. Exactly. And like, yeah, like the Jerry situation has been played out and we saw some good performances there. And we've seen a lot of bad performances, and it's almost like he's never played the position in his life, which obviously he hasn't. So the impact that he can have compared to what they've had out there is obviously monumental. The thing is, I think the Bengals only gave up one sack off of the left edge in that game, and most of it came against Michael Jordan and even Bobby Hart. So that Steelers front has talent all over it, and none of the guys are are underwhelming compared to their draft status or, or, or how much they're getting paid. So adding Glenn back can help. It might not completely solve their, their problems, even though he, he probably replaces one of the worst players on that line. 
but it really does depend, you know, how well is he going to play in his first game back? And we can't expect him to be the, the, the good Cordy Glenn that we expect him to be in his first game back, even against, especially against a, a team that has this competent put rash, rushing the passer as the Steelers are. So, you know, it, it really does depend on, on how you know ready he looks and if the team has confidence that he will be ready. So it's not a guarantee that he that he plays. It's the expectation. And if he just practices well and, and has no setbacks, he, he will probably be out there. And I am confident to say he'll be better than John Jerry. I'm not confident to say that it will completely solve their issues against this defensive line. Yeah, and I don't, you know, I don't know if him playing and playing well potentially these last handful of games, I don't know if that's going to get mend the relationship going into next off season and maybe yeah, that's a whole nother thing. Yeah. Maybe be enough where the Bengals say, okay, Hey, we're, we're, we're moving forward amicably. We're going to, you know, maybe he's the left guard of the future and you have Jonah Williams back. And all of a sudden that side of the line is solidified. I don't know a lot to play out there. It's, it would just be nice to see him back out there, hopefully play well, be in a good headspace and, um, you know, if, if the team and he can move forward in a positive direction where he can be a, you know, a, a contributing factor on this offensive line and a guy as a stabilizing factor on it for God's sake is would just be nice. Uh, I, I don't, I don't foresee a win here, but I, I, unless I don't know if you do, but how I guess satisfying would a win be? in this type of season where you're struggling so much and basically your biggest rival, you get a, you get a win against them or is it just, you know, still looking to the draft get wins don't really matter at this point, despite the opponent. Like I understand the fans argument here and I understand their, their perspective as well, but in the time that I've, I've been doing this, not this podcast, but just covering the team, like they've won less than 20 games. I'm pretty used to the losing at this point. And I understand that, you know, from a player's perspective, losing is unacceptable by, by all accounts and you never want to, you know, root for your team to lose. But this is a bad time to be talking about because we just talked about those quarterbacks. And every time I talk about those quarterbacks, I get excited. And I have to think like that's just the number one priority. And right now, you know, they're one game ahead of the Redskins in terms of draft order. And hopefully Haskins, Dwayne Haskins plays well for them. So they don't look to, you know, pull a Josh Rosen, Arizona Cardinals move there. So, Getting the quarterback, man, it's the it's the number one priority. And I know you know fans want to see the Steelers lose by the hands of the Bengals, but uh, would you rather have one week of happiness or potentially ten years? That, that's my whole thing. Yeah, I I feel you, I feel you, and I I don't disagree. I I do think that if this team is going to stick with Zach Taylor, they need something positive. They need something positive as they move into the next. Whether it's a competitive game against the Steelers and they lose. A, a win against the Steelers and that's your only win. I mean that they need there's between the Boyd comments. We talked about the Cordy Glenn situation, the team, the, Taylor tying Dave Shula in terms of futility to start the year. They need some positive news, man. Um, and they need to feel good about things going into next year. They need to show signs of improvement. They need to, they need to feel better as a team than they do right now. So, um, I don't, it's not a definitive answer as to how I feel about it, but they just need to start playing better. They need to show improvement and they need to do some things that make people feel good about the direction they're heading going into next year. Uh, 
we're going to get out of here, John. One of the final thoughts I wanted to bring up to you, someone, I, I, I got to find this again. Um, in the live YouTube chat, I think it was the tippity top asked, asked, did you guys play football? And if so, what positions did you play? And someone responded, Anthony was a fullback and John was a kicker. Um, I thought that was kind of funny because I'm way taller than a fullback. And I, I that kind of made me sound like a little bit of a meatball. Um, fullbacks are kind of known as meatheads, right? Well, I, I can't I can't speak for that. But me personally, I was the top running back in fourth grade in the uh, Cincinnati Flag Football League. I had, I think, yeah, I had like six touchdowns. I think I had the, the league high 70 yard run on like my first carry. I did play quarterback a couple of games and I threw two passes and they were both interceptions. So that didn't obviously turn out anything. Well, I wanted to, I wanted to play football in middle school, but unfortunately it was it was coinciding with with the golf season. That was the sport that I played. So did not play competitive football but i did dominate as a flag football player okay yeah I, I dabbled in some stuff and uh i don't know um definitely never played fullback though I played played a couple <laughs> other positions but never played you like you like your brain cells you know yeah and i i uh playing wise and coaching wise i was more on the baseball side not um not so much football but played a little bit of it so uh it's just funny that that's what was it's even more funny that someone tried to speak for us and how he almost and how he guessed the position I almost played. So that was kind of weird. <laughs> well, I yeah, I, I don't know, but uh, pretty funny, pretty funny. Uh, anything else you want to you want to bring up before we we bail out of here, man? Yeah, real quick. You know, I don't have a we don't have a large platform here, but we do have a platform that's bigger than the the average you know public public person on the street and i just feel like i just need to say this the ncaa is a farce and when i saw the fact that they were um suspending the the memphis the, they were suspending the memphis player for 12 games and then fining him for nearly twelve thousand dollars mind you the guy's 18 19 years old and the only reason why he's suspended is because he borrowed money to move his family out of the Memphis or into the Memphis area by the guy that was eventually going to be the Memphis head coach. So the fact that the NCAA who is Continuing this spiel about how they don't have enough money to pay the players is now finding a player and making him donate eleven thousand dollars to a charity of his choice, like that makes it any better, is is a farce that I can't let go, let, let unannounced, and I just feel like I have to get that out there that anybody that supports this tyrannical institution should be reprimanded and the fact that this is still going on and the fact that instances like this continue to occur, like like even, the only way for this dude to pay this 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 fine to donate this amount of money is for him to get a loan. And if he gets a loan, even if he pays it back, he's going to get the chase. He's, he's going to get the chase young suspension. He's going to get suspended yeah. two more games yeah. like this. It, 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 it pissed me off so much that I felt like if I didn't say anything about it and didn't express my opinion, I would be doing not a justice. I know our platform is not very big. And I know a lot of people don't care about the NCAA and Memphis basketball in general, but that, that was something I needed to get off my chest because it, it just pissed me off immeasurably when I saw it. Yeah. Uh, understandable. I, I saw a little bit of that and I was kind of doing some running around and whatnot today and I, I didn't catch all of the details on that, but, uh, that's, yeah, that's pretty ridiculous. And the autonomy that, I mean, I, I support some of the things the NCAA does, uh, you know, college athletes, all I just, you know, the, the organization in its purest form, I, I support it. But some of the things like you're talking about is just head scratching. I wanted to say this too, before we get out of here. Um, 
there I, I feel really bad because last Monday, I believe, was Veterans Day. And uh, we, I, we did not acknowledge um, the service of our veterans. We have a number of, of people who listen to this podcast. I remember we had a guy who was calling from uh, or, or listen to us live, John, that was in the service, and he he commented on some stuff from out of the country. He's stationed abroad. So if you are a veteran or service person or what have you, uh, thank you for your service to to the country. Or if you're outside of the U.S. and you're in the service, uh, you know, that's something to be recognized for serving your, your country as well. So uh, we, we apologize we didn't say that sooner to you, but we know there are some veterans that listen to this show and we are appreciative of your service. So there you have it. This has been the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. Enjoy Steelers Week version 2.0. We'll be here to talk about it after the game. So join us on CincyJungle.com and these platforms. Get the podcast how you can. Thanks for tuning in live. We'll see you guys next time. Oh,